Welcome back, friends, to our 20th episode here at Music Therapy and Beyond. I'm Kristen, and honestly, I can't believe that we are already at 20 episodes for this podcast. As a team, we are getting just a little bit more comfortable with the format, you know, with our scheduling and planning for the episodes. Those are, you know, getting a little bit smoother, and we're really exploring what we want this platform to look and feel like. You know, with regards to our sound library, which I'm sure you've noticed we're experimenting a lot with that. And also the feel of our episodes and, you know, who we're going to have on as guests and just kind of what we want this whole platform to look like. So um, we're grateful for you. And I do want to make sure that I take a moment just to express our gratitude for those that are listening. I know you are all over the world and we are so appreciative that you're taking time out of your very busy schedules to listen and to learn along with us. We have always appreciated hearing from you and want to encourage you that if you're interested in being a guest or you have feedback to share, we want to hear from you. So please reach out to us via email at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com. Now, coming up in two weeks, we have a really exciting announcement to share with you, so you will not want to miss that episode. Look out for episode 22 coming the last Monday of May. The topic today is something I honestly desperately need, and I know many, if not all of you, do too. In our April Wellness segment, episode 16, we dug into the stress cycle and the importance of connection and touched on rest. Today, we are going to dig into rest. But before we do that, let's take a moment to rest our minds and our bodies with a brief music transition. brain and body are ready to learn. I just absolutely love that conga groove. (laughs) So rest. What is rest? Um, That's, I guess, a really great place for us to start. So rest as a noun is defined as the instance or period of relaxing or ceasing to engage in strenuous or stressful activity. Now as a verb to rest is defined as ceasing work or movement in order to relax refresh oneself or recover strength and it is also as a verb a place to be supported um you know support is like i rest my hand on the table i like to stay in a specific position but i love the idea there that it is a place to be supported according to emily and amelia nagoski in their book burnout the secret to unlocking the stress cycle Rest, they say, is quite simply when you stop using a part of your brain that's used up or body that's worn out, damaged, or inflamed so that it has a chance to renew itself. According to Beck Heinrich, rest is the renewing of depleted physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual reserves. And lastly, we look to Sandra Dalton Smith, MD, in her book, Sacred Rest, which identifies rest as a second chance. She continues to explain that rest challenges you to shift from, and I just love this imagery, of having the scenery fly by in a blur to inhaling the scent of pine on the scenic route of your life. So going from it flying by to really having a chance to sit and smell the pine on the scenic route. Rest, according to Dr. Dalton Smith, is not simply pushing the pause button on your day. Rest is not merely taking a break. Rest is about replenishing, restoring, renewing, recovering, rebuilding, regenerating, remodeling, and repairing. Rest begins with the prefix re because it requires us to go back to a prior state. It is a second chance. I love what all of the sort of definitions of rest and all the angles you can take, but I think the 
consensus and the thing that is um, across all of them is that rest is a place of solitude, is a place to renew, is a place to come to when you're used up, when you're damaged, when you need recovery, when you need rebuilding. And I really think that that's an important place for us to start this conversation. Now that we've explored what rest is on the surface, let's look at why it is important. Now, the consensus across all the books that I read and the resources and I think just um, general knowledge is that humans are designed to spend a third of their lives in sleep. So that's roughly eight hours a day every single day. Now, how many of us get a full eight hours of sleep every single day? But inadequate sleep damages our physical health. So chronic sleep deprivation, both short sleep and disturbed sleep, is a common factor in 20% of serious car accidents and is in every common cause of death, including heart disease, cancer, diabetes, hypertension, Alzheimer's, and immune dysfunction. Chronic sleep deprivation increases your risk by up to 45% for all of these common diseases. It is also a better predictor of developing type 2 diabetes than a lack of physical activity. I'm just going to say that one again because that is one of the statistics that I read that blows my mind. It is a better, so sleep deprivation, chronic sleep deprivation is a better predictor of developing type 2 diabetes than a lack of physical activity. That just blows my mind. And it's not something that, at least I'm familiar, that is really talked about. So that was really fascinating to me. But inadequate sleep impairs brain functioning. This I think we know. You know, we're talking about memory and attention, decision making, hand-eye coordination, calculation, accuracy, logical reasoning, and creativity. So we know, you know, not having a lot of sleep, it does impair But do we know to at what extent it does? To what extent does it impair our brain? And I want to say that much of this data is taken straight from Emily and Amelia Nagoski's burnout book. They also walk us through a scenario. And I think this is just really um, a very important one to quote. So, quote, people who've been awake for 19 hours, example, woke up at 7 a.m. and are still up at 2 a.m., are as impaired in their cognitive and motor functioning as a person who is legally intoxicated. End quotes. Yikes. Anybody else think that that's crazy? (laughs) They continue to explain that even a person who has only had four hours of sleep the previous night is similarly impaired, as are those who've slept six hours or fewer every night for the last two weeks. These are profound things that we and we're living with a chronic i think in general um across the board especially in western culture with a lack of sleep i just think this is profound and something that many of us have probably heard before but i want to give us a moment to really think about the previous statements that we just walked through about um just that we need eight hours of sleep just to really function adequately And that inadequate sleep damages our physical health. It increases our risk by 20% for car accidents. And it increases our risk for common diseases by 45%. And those that have had all that sleep deprivation so or have been up for 19 hours are as impaired as being legally intoxicated. I want to give us a moment to really think about this. And to commit that to memory because this is something we should not forget. This is profound and it could save your life by remembering it. Okay, 
Now that we know the importance of sleep and hopefully have committed that to memory, let's look back at those definitions of rest. Emily and Amelia Nagoski mentioned that rest is when you stop using part of you that's used up, worn out, damaged, or inflamed so that it has a chance to renew itself. Beck Heinrich mentions that rest is the renewing of depleted physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual reserves. Sandra Dalton Smith says that rest is a second chance. It's not simply a pause in the middle of your day, but rest is a chance to replenish, to restore, to renew, to rebuild, to repair, and so on. Rest is not just sleep. Rest, sleep is part of that, but rest includes both active and passive recovery. Sandra Dalton Smith says that in quotes, chronic insufficient rest ultimately leads to a being rest deficient. And this deficiency occurs when the amount of rest you get is inadequate to meet your daily energy expenditures, end quote. So now sleep is part of this, but the, and the recommended amount of sleep, we already spoke about this, is for adults is eight hours per day every single day. But Amelia and Emily Nagoski report that science says adequate rest is 42% of our life, sleep being part of that. Now, this 42% of our life is the time your body and brain need to rest. This is not ideal, and they make it very clear in the book that this is not an ideal percentage that we should be shooting for, but it is necessary to sustain life. And I think that is such an important aspect that 42% of our life, we need to be resting. And it's not that we should be, but that to sustain our life, we need to have 42% of our life resting. So let's look at those numbers. 42% is approximately 10 hours out of every 24. So if we divide that up, we need to be sleeping approximately eight of those 10 hours, which leaves two other hours for other types of rest. Now we spoke in the last wellness segment um, on episode 16 about the stress cycle and connection. So please go back when you finish this and listen to that episode if you haven't already. It gives you a lot of information that really works well with this whole idea of rest. And there is a consensus in the literature that rest includes physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of ourselves. Now, in Sacred Rest, Sandra Dalton Smith, MD, walks the readers through seven different areas of rest. First, physical, second, mental, followed by emotional, spiritual, social, sensory, and last, creative rest. In fact, there is a questionnaire on her website, ichoosemybestlife.com. Again, the resources and links are in the show notes. You can also find it, I believe, at restquiz.com. And this quiz asks you a plethora of questions, but it helps you to identify what areas you need rest in. And rather, it actually goes through and gives you sort of an audit, so to speak, of how much rest you need in each area or how well you are doing in each area. Sandra describes rest as the conductor connecting you to the energy refill you need and continues to identify that the problem is when you don't get the right kind of rest, you still feel empty. So for example, if social rest is what you need, then sleeping 12 hours at night is not really going to fill your tank if you are still meeting every social engagement that's draining your energy from that reserve. You know, I really like how she describes this in her book as each is drawing from a different energy pool. Each needs to be restored in preparation for the next time it will be called upon. Now, Amelia and Emily Nagoski communicate a similar idea that they title active rest and define it as working one gear while resting the others. They describe this behavior as, as oscillating between work and rest, and it is the oscillating that is the mo most important aspect. 
while one area is active, another is resting, which I think pairs really beautiful with the ideas of the seven different areas of rest. So before we jump into the application portion of our episode, and we will definitely get there because it's probably my favorite part, let's take a brief break as we reflect on what we've already spoken about so far. So we've talked about the importance of sleep and how it is physically so important for our sustaining life. Number two, we spoke about looking at that ratio of rest to work and how we need to be identifying roughly 42%, but 10 hours a day of rest, eight of which should be sleep. And then as we dig deeper into this idea of oscillating between different areas of rest and the culmination of all that we need to rest, all of the areas of ourself, our physical, our mental, emotional, our spiritual, all of the parts of ourselves that need to be rest and how we oscillate between those. So as we listen to this short music break, let's take sort of an audit of just start to thinking about what areas you need rest in before we get to all of those nitty gritty details about action steps that's coming up next. Okay, now let's get to action. According to Beck Heinrich, during her TEDx talk on redefining rest, she identified through her research that 52% of people said they do not factor rest into their weekly schedule. That's over half of people. And the reasons through this research that they identified that they don't factor in rest are one, guilt, two, that they don't know how to, three, they are overcommitted in every area of their life. And lastly, they can't get their brains to stop. So I'm going to mix these up just a little bit, but I want to address every single one of these. And let's first start with guilt. Emily and Amelia Nagoski have an incredible narrative in their burnout book around this whole idea of, of guilt that really pairs so beautifully with what um, Beck was saying in her TEDx talk. And, you know, they, they speak about human giver syndrome and gaslighting and a host of other issues that uh, lead to us naturally feeling this guilt for taking care of ourselves. But their whole narrative really culminates with a quote from Audre Lorde in quotes, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare, end quote. I've also heard it's very important to look at ourselves as if we would a young child or a good friend or even the child that we were in our younger years. We would always encourage a child and a good friend to get sleep and to take the rest that they need. Why do we too often sacrifice our own needs when that is absolutely not the recommendation we would give to a good friend or a child. Long-term, caring for ourselves is the most important aspect of caring for others. So those simple quotes and graphics that you see posted all over Pinterest and Etsy that say, self-care is not selfish, are right. Now for number two, I'm actually going to jump to they can't get their brains to stop. This is rampant in our society. I think this is, it is probably one of the biggest contributing factors to our lack of sleep. Personally, that's my observation. 
Um, and honestly, for this one, I'm going to refer you to our last episode, episode number 16 on the stress cycle, and also refer to that burnout book by Emily and Amelia Nagoski because they have incredible suggestions on helping your body feel safe, your body and brain feel safe so that you're actually able to rest and relax. There are also a myriad of ways to help support a healthy sleep and rest, and there's been a lot of resources and um, research done on this, and so you can look at our references for some really tactical ideas, but I'm going to read you a few. Putting your phone away. Turning off the TV. In fact, some docs actually even recommend turning on the TV and watching a show they enjoy if you wake like up in the middle of the night and have racing thoughts. They say a, a show actually helps you have something to think about um, and might help those racing thoughts to calm. Getting outside is another recommendation. Scheduling in rest. So maintaining a consistent sleep schedule so that your body and your brain learn when to go to sleep. So um, obviously it's a little bit more difficult in the summer months or the winter months there is, um, depending on, on what your sleep cycles are, but coming up with the sun and going to bed with the sun or starting to calm down as the sun goes down. I know that that's a rhythm that we really keep, especially with our kids, um, in the, you know, just as the cycles of the year change, but having a pretty consistent sleep schedule is really important to help train your brain and your body to to calm down and to to be ready to rest. They also recommend brain dumping before bed, so writing down all of your thoughts, um, maybe even making a task list, but but most importantly, just getting them out of your brain. Other things that you can do in your environment are dimming the lights and developing a sleep routine that might include light music. Or gentle movement, movement, or like a yoga flow, a guided meditation. Um, some people use aromatherapy, such as essential oils, or even a candle, pr- to promote like a relaxing environment. You could take a bath, read a book. Now, reading a book doesn't work for everyone. So around my house, we no business or workbooks at night. Only kind of what I call brain candy books, where I, you know, maybe some. Uh, books that are just kind of really easy reading and about two pages and I'm, I'm asleep. But so you have to be kind of be careful with and, and know you. So that might not be helpful for you, but for, for some it is. Maybe listening to, like I mentioned, um, that guided meditation, but also there are sleep podcasts and I'll link you to a few of those in the show notes as well. Even listening to white noise or turning on a fan can help to fill that um, space that might be um, causing you to to have difficulty sleeping. Journaling and having a cup of herbal or non-caffeinated tea before bed might be really helpful as well. As focusing on deep breathing, maybe even stretching with your breath, maybe even pairing that with music. As a music therapist, we I pair music with lots of things. But um, that might be a combination of rhythmic that gets your body slowing down, your heart rate slowing down and ready to sleep, as well as progressive muscle relaxation. All of those are recommendations that I found in the literature, and you can link to a number of other resources in our show notes. Now, number three, I want to go back to they are overcommitted in every area of their life. Now, This is probably the easiest one to answer, but the most difficult to implement. As a society, we are overcommitted. That's just, I think, a fact. Especially in our Western culture, busyness is a badge of honor, and that is is how so much of our nation and our world live, is overcommitted. Now, I think that this recent pandemic has given us a very real awareness of just how overcommitted many of us were and are because we were forced into even more commitments, which in and of itself forced us to prioritize and create space out of necessity for survival, white space that we didn't have in our schedules. You know, there are a lot of ideas out there to help create space for the rest in your day. 
but many of them include, you know, things like taking a longer lunch or waking up earlier, grabbing an afternoon coffee or tea, but those alone could actually make your life more stressful. All of them may be a very good idea and very helpful in work in a work-life balance and ensuring that that is in a healthy balance. But they themselves are not the answer. We have to look at actually curing and or avoiding overcommitment. To utilize the space for rest, we actually have to have the space. And that means scheduling it in. And that also means scheduling out other things. It is that good old idea of the best yes, or saying no means saying yes to something better, or any other adage that goes along with that. In this instance, the better yes is rest. If you are not able to schedule in rest within that 42% ratio between rest and work, then you are overcommitted and need to look at your commitments and get a real with your priorities. I should also mention, I'm not just sitting up here on a soapbox because I'm in the thick of it with you. I'm a full-time mama at home with two littles and I'm a business owner. I dance this balance all day long. The truth is that over half of us and likely even more right now are overcommitted and do not factor rest in or cannot factor rest into our schedule. In fact, our society does not prioritize rest. If you do, you are not the majority. And kudos to you because I'm so proud that you do because we all should be doing that. In fact, according to Beck Heinrich, 62% of people said that their workplace cultures don't value or are negative towards the notion of rest. It's very common for leaders and managers to spend 18 hours a day working. Let's turn the tables to mothers, stay at home or working. Can't even imagine this 42% of a day being rest and devoted to rest. I mean, how, how do we address our overcommitments? This is the biggest issue, right? We know it's an issue, but how do we address it? Well, according to the American Psychology Association, ways to avoid overcommitment are taking control by making good choices. I know you wish there was like this super easy, somebody else could make the decision for us, but the fact is you, we have to sit down with our schedules and we have to do the work. So taking control by making good choices, such as examining your schedule and available time, survey and prioritize. So survey where your time is being, survey what's important and prioritize, avoid last minute commitments and say no and yes and mean it. And I would also add to this something that I've actually found really um, helpful in saying no, because I am an avid yes sayer. And saying no is something that is a, a real challenge for me and something I've been practicing for years. But saying no, really thinking about what your, your yes and what your no's are and by this really meaning it is really kind of looking at how do I feel about that yes would I say yes because I feel obligated am I saying yes for my pure enjoyment because it's going to add to to my life to the lives of those around me or am I saying yes because I want to make someone else happy or a number of other reasons that might mean that it needs to be a no instead of a yes Basically, taking time to think about the implications before we're committing. I think, you know, that's stopping before we automatically say, oh, yes, absolutely, I can absolutely do that. It's just this one time or it's just once a month. But really stopping, thinking, looking at your schedule and looking at all the implications before actually committing is probably the very most important first step. Another blog post that I found gives you an actual formula to help stopping you, to help stop you from overcommitting. I'll have that link in the show notes because I was absolutely like so excited to get that formula. 
That takes the guesswork out of it. Follow the formula for time investment success where your external and internal expectations are equal or less than 24 hours minus, here's the key, your self-care, i.e. rest. So for us, that needs to be roughly 10 hours. So in this example, you might take 24 hours and subtract that 42%, which is 10 hours, which leaves you with approximately 14 hours left each day for work and other commitments. In this formula, they are literally budgeting your time like you do your money on a monthly budget. I've also included a few posts um, in the show notes that give step-by-step instructions to take control over your schedule when you are overcommitted um, that may help you get out of it, you know, because it's nice to budget, but when you're actually in the middle of it and you're committed and you, you know, you want to follow through with things, and I certainly have been there. Um, But honestly, I I mean, the very first step is creating space and actually you have to sit down and look at the schedule. And that is a really hard step to take, but that is the very first step. So schedule about an hour or two to sit down and look at the schedule and do an audit. Um, Link to all those ideas and resources in our show notes. So that brings us to our final reason people say they do not factor in rest into their schedule. We've talked about guilt, not getting their brains to stop, and three, being overcommitted. And the last we're going to talk about is they don't know how to rest. On the surface, this is easy. Just rest. Also, Google or Pinterest self-care, and you're sure to find a plethora of ideas out there. But again, it isn't just about adding self-care routines to your already busy life and your already busy schedule. It's about one, creating space for rest, two, completing the stress cycle so that you can rest, and three, prioritizing the type of rest you need. And that's what we're gonna finish this episode with after this music break. The seven types of rest. So first, I'd encourage you to take that rest quiz so then you can get an idea about where you need the most rest. But I'm going to walk you through these seven types and give some recommendations of ways to um, address them. So let's start at the top with physical. This is probably the one we know the most about. Sleep is a big one as part of, you know, preparing our bodies um, for sleep the stretching, the routine, all of those things we've already kind of talked about. Exercise, walking, stretching, strength training. But how about just moving our bodies, like squeezing and opening our hands, rocking back and forth on our heels, opening and closing our mouth? Any other ideas of gentle motion? Intentionally choose five minutes for lying down, face up or face down, is a really good um, way to just focus on resting your physical body and also breathing deeply this there you know there are a plethora of of deep breathing rhythms so the square is one so in for four hold for four out for four and then um, hold at the bottom for four is one you can do breathe in for 
five, hold for four, out for eight. There's lots of different um, rhythms. Find the one that works best for you, but the focus is on it being slow, deep, intentional breaths all the way in and full exhales where your belly actually contracts. So that's ideas for physical rest. Now let's jump to mental rest. Creating time blocks for certain tasks in your day. There are multiple theories around, you know, the work day. Um, but in general, your body needs a break about every 90 minutes. Without at least a mini break, you can induce a stress cycle. So for instance, I actually recognize this. If I'm sitting at my computer for too long, I actually start to notice my heart rate increases and I kind of start to sweat. And without really any outside threat um, or really any external stimulus at all. My body is telling me I've sat for too long and I need to move. So that is, you know, an important one to be aware of how your, your body rhythm works and being intentional and, and being aware of that, um, especially during the work day. So talking about time blocking for certain tasks is, is a way to do mental rest meditation and mindfulness practices um, allowing thought to move but not engaging with the thought so there's lots of guided meditations and um, mindfulness practices that you can engage in those help for mental rest as well as daydreaming or what some call waking rest now according to emily and amelia nagoski mental rest is not just simple idleness it is the time necessary for your brain to process the world now, according to a study in October of 2019 on exercise, nutrition, sleep, and waking rest, and there's a link in the show notes, waking rest is a period of quiet, reflective thought that allows the brain time to consider and process whatever arises spontaneously. The person should either be inactive or be doing like a low energy or repetitive activity that does not require focused thought to perform. Yard work, folding laundry, walking the dog, etc. They go on to make a statement that, in quotes, through the implementation of waking rest, we may be able to ameliorate some of our nation's mental health and sleep problems with amplified beneficial effects due to the links between the two problems, end quotes. So active mental rest, where you are oscillating between one set of tasks and another task that allow you to actively rest from one at a time, is another way of doing mental rest. So in the burnout book, they give the example of um, one of the authors who was working on a full-time as a full-time professor of music and conducting a children's choir while also writing a book. Both jobs were using different gears or energy reserves. So that's where we get the oscillating between the two um, is actually a, a form of active rest. So those are a couple ideas for mental rest. Now let's jump to emotional. First and most important, completing the stress cycle. This is allowing your body and your brain to completely process through your emotions. Limit social media and other places where you compare yourself to others. Setting up boundaries at work and home for emotionally draining relationship and tasks. In Sacred Rest, Sandra Dalton-Smith recommends that we lean into uncertainty of authenticity. So opening ourselves up to regular communion with those people you feel most um, like yourself around. In the burnout book, Emily and Amelia also make mention to the importance of true connection and their words, and in their words, they call it in quotes, the bubble of love, basically a space where you can be your true authentic self. That is another way of emotional rest is to be in a space where you don't have to have those boundaries, where you can be completely authentic yourself and be vulnerable. I would also add that seeking professional help in a mental health counselor may also be an incredibly important step to help place those boundaries around your emotional self and help to process through those emotions. Now let's move on to spiritual. Emily and Amelia Nagoski mentioned the importance of regularly engaging in your something larger, this something larger than yourself. 
They continue by walking you through the concept of meaning in chapter three of their burnout book, which I highly recommend. Sandra Dalton Smith also makes recommendations for engaging in spiritual rest by exploring your relationship with God. Now, for those that don't identify with that faith tradition, you may consider exploring a relationship with, in general, your something larger. What is it that's something larger than yourself that really helps to identify your meaning? Now, another recommendation she offers is to unite the body, mind, and spirit. Now, I understand this as engaging with your something larger with the understanding and the intention that body, mind, and spirit are all interconnected and that healing one promotes healing in another. And that brings us to social rest. And for this, I want to encourage you to go back to episode 16 because we dug really deeply into connection and that will provide you some really great considerations for social rest. But here are a few things to consider. Number one, prioritize face-to-face communications, stepping away from technology as much as is possible and safe to do so, of course, at this time. Number two, listening and learning. So consider taking a step back and listening more in your conversations with others instead of talking and providing input. And lastly, connecting with others who are like-minded. So being very cautious about not to overextend, but sometimes finding a community that is like-minded, that can support you, where you can find other people who are in similar um, areas in their life or dealing with similar concerns can be a place of social rest and can be exactly what you need. Now that brings us to our final two, sensory and creative. Sensory rest. This one seems fairly simple, you know, to simply unplug, but, you know, aside from the countless beeps, chirps, and dings in our life, these do accumulate and are very overwhelming to our sensory system. So consider uh, quieting your notifications and um, decreasing the number of notifications that you're getting, especially on your phone and on your computer. Maybe even consider not linking things so that you're not getting double dings all over the place. I know sometimes when our computer and our iPad and our phone, they all ding, ding, ding at the same time. Um, So consider maybe uh, decreasing some of those chirps and dings. Um, I know that when it comes to touch, I'm speaking at this from a mother, but frequently we need sensory rest, especially after having little children touch and climb and want to climb and hug and all the time all all day long that can just become sensory overload so I know in our house sometimes we set a five minute timer and it's a no touch five minutes and it's really important for everybody not just me but we're also teaching our children that sensory rest is an important thing to prioritize and another idea is just simply take notice of the sensory input that you receive between your air fresheners your laundry detergent, candles, perfumes, those smells, even the fabrics that you wear, anything that you taste, see, feel, smell, and listen to can become overwhelming, especially when they're all combined. So become aware of um, what the sensory input that you are receiving and just be, just bring your mind um, awareness to it and consider removing those external inputs that cause reactions or maybe consider decreasing some of those and see how you feel see if it's a sensory relief so as you are looking and becoming aware of those some action steps you can take are to look for sensory stressors by identifying just one so things such as like background music in your workplace or um, while you're working blue lights from your screens or fragrant perfumes You know, think about actionable ways that you can avoid or remove those sensory triggers. That might be very helpful as you consider the need for sensory rest. And that brings us to the last, but certainly not the least, um, area of rest, creative rest. Emily and Amelia Nagoski speak directly to creativity as being an option in completing the stress cycle, bonus, And here are a few ideas to consider. So anything creative, painting, sculpting, 
music, theater and storytelling, journaling, really crafting of any kind. Other recommendations from Sacred Rest are to build in a sabbatical into your life. I mean, doesn't that just sound glorious? A simply a chance to block out specific time. And Sandra Dalton Smith even recommends 30 minutes up to like a full week of time to intentionally engage in those tasks that rejuvenate you. Being very um, intentional about planning, you know, having a loose plan, you know, you want to be flexible during your creative time, but having an intention to setting an intention about really what you're going to do so that then you are able to use that time really, really well. Um, Maybe these are outdoor activities, maybe it's hiking or maybe going on a walk or I mean, even an afternoon of sewing or maybe it's a full retreat to a bed and breakfast somewhere in the middle of nowhere and just reading and um, doing those things, any of those tasks that rejuvenate you. So building in those sabbaticals into your life on a pretty consistent basis. Another recommendation that I've heard many discussions about between my podcasts that I listen to and the books I read um, about prioritizing creativity within your weekly schedule. So as long as we're, we're also prioritizing our rest in our schedule, but also thinking that even within our work days, we can prioritize the creative work that we're do, doing. So not only building in those times for creative sabbaticals, but also within our work time, you know, our percentage of allotment of work outside of that for 42% of rest, how can we prioritize our creativity? And one such podcaster over at Being Boss, at the Being Boss podcast, recommends time blocking and prioritizing creative work first in your schedule each week. So, you know, time blocking, you basically are budgeting every single hour and minute of every single week and you're allotting time for everything. She says put creative creative work first. So with the understanding that you are prioritizing also this time of for creativity around like your personal energy rhythm and flow so making sure that you know if the mornings are really your creative time place your creative um, time blocking slot there instead of like emails or something like that where emails might go in the afternoon where you're not as creative depending on you and your rhythm I personally think this may be actually one reason that us as music therapists tend to burn out because we are so focused on, you know, we see clients a lot of times during our very creative time of day, but we are forced to be incredibly creative in the work that we do as we plan for our therapy sessions. And often I see that it's hard for us to plan in that creativity time and at the right times of day. So it might be a source of a real challenge and and maybe even lead to burnout when we are having to focus and be creative at times that are not really the best for us. So this can be really hard to keep up with, with a rhythm like of creativity that we have to as music therapists, especially when it comes to um, being creative at the wrong time of day for our our personal flow. So it's just something to consider as a music therapist and even teachers and and other uh, expressive therapists who are being very creative in your work. So in general, keeping in mind your energy flow, I think is also a really important thing to consider here. Um, What works best for you when during the day and the time um, does it work best for you and then plan in and schedule in your creative sabbaticals or your creative work um, at the at really the best place in your schedules. So those are some ideas for really maximizing creative rest. Friends, we are almost at the end of this episode. We have spoken about so much around the notion of rest. And as we wrap up, I want to head back to that TEDx talk with Beck Heinrich. She states the statistic we mentioned earlier, 62% of people said their workplace cultures don't value or are negative towards the notion of rest. This is profound, and it's important to realize 
that in order to have a healthy work-life balance and to factor in rest, you have to know that likely your workplace is not going to help or prioritize this for you. Now, hopefully this is changing. Hopefully our culture is changing, but you must be intentional in this endeavor for your own life because honestly, your life does depend on it. Beck encourages us to think about the notion that in Western culture, we are human doers instead of human beings, that we are doing instead of being. And she encourages us to flip that switch to understand that work and activity and rest and renewal are necessary for sustained high performance. Heading back to the burnout book, they speak about Martha Beck, the life coach, and how when her team is struggling, they stop, they turn off their computers, and they go and play or rest. Instead of ordering coffee and staying in the same place or hammering it out in a conference room, they rest and they play. They oscillate. And in this, they are better able to identify the problem and come up with a solution. As Heinrich concludes in her TEDx talk, it is when we prioritize rest that we truly become the leaders and the people we are meant to be. And in doing so, we maximize our effectiveness in the workplace and the world. So whether you lead or are a member of a home or a team or a classroom, your rest matters. So please prioritize it. I'm working and slogging along right there next to you. And so are many, many others. Let's help each other. Let's help prioritize rest. Thank you for joining me today. I am incredibly grateful for your time and your presence. We understand that time is our most precious commodity, and we are honored each and every time you choose to use your time to listen. Find all the resources and show notes at our website, musictherapyandbeyond.com. Reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com, and we'll see you next week for our music segment. Thank you for the work you do and all the places you do it. Bye, friends. Bye.